Well, I want to invite you as we uh, dive into this message to get your Bibles out and get them open to Paul's second letter to the Corinthian Christians. And we're going to be in chapters 8 and 9. We're going to be talking about Christmas grace and generosity. And I wanted to show you that video to encourage you, uh, also to remind you to give thanks to God for all that he has done and is doing in just these early months of our next-gen spiritual initiative. Uh, Just to remind us all, it's been about a half a year now, but on May 22nd, over 250 families and individuals made commitments to next-gen, totaling over $2.542 million uh, to be given over 36 months. And we started that 36-month journey on July 1st, We are now five months in. And I have some great news. Are you ready for some great news? Uh, November was our best single month that we've had so far with gifts totaling $61,770 to NextGen. That's money above and beyond our, our regular tithes and offerings. And that means through five months, including the initial gifts that you gave and then the monthly gifts that have come in, the Southwinds family has given to NextGen $584,879. And, and that means we are off to a, a great, great start. And I want just to encourage you with that news. But I also want to challenge you with this. It is crucial that we maintain this pace, that we stay faithful to the commitments that we have made. And I want to just point out today that a huge part of that Uh, will be what happens this Christmas. And so I'm going to encourage you, before we get into our our text today, I want to encourage you to consider doing one of three things, and this will just meet you wherever you are uh, in in your walk and in your your life experience. Number one, if you are uh, behind on your next-gen commitment, I just want to encourage you uh, to consider making uh, year-end gifts to catch up and get yourself back on, on pace. Second thing I want to encourage us with is that some of us are on track and we're, we're able, we've been fulfilling the commitments we've made, but maybe you're able to accelerate your giving and to give ahead of the pace that you had intended. If you do that, it'll have an advantage for you in terms of taxes next year, but it'll also put us on an accelerated pace to be ready in a better and better way. When we get to July this next year, we get to our groundbreaking. The more cash we have on hand, the more we bring to the table as things begin, the the lower our monthly mortgage obligations will be subsequent to that. So that may be what some of you can do. And then finally, third, uh, maybe maybe you've not given to NextGen, maybe you're new to Southwinds, and maybe this Christmas you could consider making a a year-end gift uh, to NextGen that's above and beyond uh, your regular giving. Uh, Just some thoughts for you to think about, just some things for you to pray about. And maybe what we have to talk about in the message that we're in now will help you make some decisions. See, that video, and and now uh, me looking out here at all of you who are part of the Southwinds family, what that does for me is it makes me grateful. It makes me grateful to think of how privileged I am, how blessed I am uh, to be able to be part of what you guys are doing to be able to celebrate all the ways uh, that you have been so generously giving. And, and that, that's the spirit in which we're going to study this passage today. That's the spirit in which we want to think about Christmas grace and generosity. Now, I know that some of you maybe are wondering what all of this has to do with Christmas. Short answer is Everything. Everything. We, we like to say, don't we, that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year? But have you ever asked yourself, what is it that makes Christmas so wonderful? And I want to tell you this morning, what made the first Christmas wonderful is really the secret to making all of our Christmases today wonderful, making this Christmas this year wonderful. And the secret comes down to one word, just one word, and it's drawn from a very, very familiar portion of Scripture. These are actually the words that launched uh, Christmas, that tell of the love that caused Christmas to happen, the words of John three sixteen. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
Now, maybe you've never thought about that as a, a Christmas verse, but it really, really is. And here's why that verse is so important. Think about this. Now, what made that first Christmas wonderful to God is what God got to do. God so loved the world that he gave. You see, giving is what love does. Giving is how love expresses itself. Giving is the heart of love, and therefore, giving is the heart of God. Giving is what God is into, and and many people do not understand what the Bible so clearly tells us about God, and that is this, that God is not a taker. Our God is a giver. In fact, we're going to see at the end of the message that the climactic verse of these entire two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, uh, says this, 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. See, Christmas began when God gave a gift too great for words. See, how could we describe the gift of his son? And what makes Christmas wonderful for us is when we join God in loving, which always means giving. And I want you to see today, maybe you've never connected these things before, but I want you to see today that you can't have Christmas without grace. And that means you can't have Christmas without generosity. Christmas grace and generosity go together, always. They always do. Now, here's the the context for the passage we're going to be looking at parts of today. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul is talking to these Corinthian believers about generosity. More specifically, he's talking to them about an offering that he was raising for Christ's followers in Jerusalem and in Judea. And these Christians in those areas were undergoing extreme economic hardship in the decade of the 50s, just 20 or so years after Jesus' death and resurrection. By the way, the next time someone tries to tell you that raising money is not biblical, you can just point them to these two chapters right here. You see, Paul had talked to these Corinthians about this offering sometime earlier, and they had made commitments. They had made promises. They had told him they were going to give generously. And Paul is now ready to come to them, travel to them, and to receive this offering and then take it to Jerusalem. And so he writes ahead of time because he wants to make sure that they are ready. And he writes these words that we read in these two chapters, telling them how they ought to give. Now, Keep in mind as we go through uh, parts of these two chapters that Paul has two churches in his mind as he writes these words, and they're very different churches. One of these churches or these groups of churches is very impoverished. People who follow Christ, but they were experiencing extreme financial hardship, probably much worse than anything any of us have ever known. The other church, by contrast, is doing much better economically. And I want you to be observant as you see how he talks to each church. And as we see this, we're going to learn three very important truths about God's grace given to us at Christmas that should impact how we give, that should impact our generosity. Here's the first truth. You can write this down in your message notes. Grace is the source of sacrificial generosity. I want to begin in verses uh, one and following chapter eight. Paul writes, and now brothers, We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I want to stop right there and I want you to notice several things. I want you to notice, first of all, where sacrifice begins. See, Paul is seeking to motivate the Corinthians to give. And he does this by pointing their attention to some other Christ followers and tells them about how these Christ followers gave. He points them to the Macedonian churches. These are Christians who are living in cities like Philippi or Thessalonica or Berea. These people had already given their offering to the churches in Judea. And Paul refers to the Macedonians' generosity in this first verse as the grace that God has given. That's what he calls their offering. And he's trying to point out that behind the Macedonians' generosity is the grace, is the generosity of God. Paul is trying to help them see that grace is always the source of generosity, that generosity is always a response 
to grace. Let me just bring this up to the present moment and put it this way. Our giving today should always be an answer to this question. And you ought to write this question down. The question is this, has God been generous with me? Has God been generous with me? See, our giving, our generosity is a response to God's generosity to us. And just think for a moment about all that God has given you. Maybe make a list sometime. I'll give you some examples of what God has done in each of our lives if we know him through Jesus. He's given us forgiveness from our sins. He has made us righteous in his sight. We know hope and joy and peace. We have the promise of eternal life. And that's just a start of a list of all the spiritual blessings that God has freely given to us. We could just go on and on and on. And if you ask that question, has God been generous to me? You will be led to ask another question of yourself, and it's this. Is my giving an appropriate response to the grace God has given to me. See, the reality is the more we see God's grace, the more we will want to be generous. When we begin to focus on all that God has given to us, then giving and being generous to our world will become a very natural thing for us to do. A few years ago, there was a a couple named Gustav and Rita Hauser, and at the time, they gave what was the largest gift to Harvard University in its history. It was a gift of $13 million. What inspired their generosity and and by their own testimony, it was gratitude. You see, 30 years before they gave this gift, they were students at Harvard. A week after their graduation, they got married. and, and, And when they gave this $13 million gift, this is what they said. We are giving this gift to this school because this school brought us together. See, that's a grateful heart. That's giving out of grace because of what has been given to you. So what has God given to us? Well, God has brought us together to himself through the gift of his son, amen? Amen. And out of that gift, out of the overflow of what God has given to us, we give to others. That's the giving of grace. And when our hearts are full of God's grace and we're aware of all that he's done for us, then generosity just happens. It just comes naturally. I want you to think about this and write this down. Giving that shows you've experienced Christmas grace is not marked by how much you give, but by how much it costs you. In other words, it's not the amount that counts, it's the sacrifice that matters. And this passage tells us that the person who has truly experienced God's grace will always find a way to give sacrificially. Again, I want to take you back to these Macedonians. Um, Their lives show us that we will sacrifice even when our lives are difficult. They had far more difficult lives than what any of us today could imagine. Paul says, and you might underline this in your Bible or in your notes, they they had severe trials. He says they were experiencing extreme poverty. What this is telling us is they had been persecuted for their faith in Jesus, and as a consequence, they'd lost their jobs, some of them. They'd lost their homes as a result of that. These were people who really had nothing. But when they heard that other Christians had needs, they responded with what Paul calls Rich generosity. Evidently, we don't know the amounts, but evidently these people in these churches had given more than anyone. I was trying to think about what an analog to today would be, and I came up with this. It would be sort of like discovering that the best place in California to raise money to feed hungry people was in a migrant workers' camp. That probably wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. How do you get rich generosity, out of severe trials, out of extreme poverty. How does that happen? There's a phrase that you ought to see and maybe underline as well. It's that phrase, overflowing joy. That's how you get those things. 
If you have overflowing joy in the Lord because of all he has done for you, then sacrificial giving will not be a problem. You will find yourself giving even when you don't really have anything to give. That's what the Macedonians did, Paul says. He says they gave as much as they were able and beyond even their ability. See, today we tend to think that giving generosity is a function of wealth, that we, we give out of our abundance, out of our extra. A lot of us tell ourselves, yeah, I know I'm, I don't really give like I should, and I, I really want to do better in this area, but, but I got to take care of some things now. When I get a few more things in my life you know, worked out, a few more things straightened out, when things get better, then I'll give more. I, I just need to take care of this now. The reality is that wealth has very little to do with sacrificial giving. In fact, it's quite fascinating. Over the years, I've seen numerous studies that show it's usually poorer people who give more, not wealthy people, in terms of sacrifice. There are studies that have been done by secular groups that have shown repeatedly that as a a general rule, as our income goes up, the percentage of our generosity to others goes down. One study a few years ago determined that those with incomes below $10,000 gave 2.8% of their money to other causes such as charity and church. And by the time this study got up to around 100,000 people on general average in that category, were giving 1.5%. See, it's about sacrifice. And grace is always the source of sacrificial generosity. Now, sacrifice means different things for different people. It means different things for you than it does for me, than it does for maybe someone else. But the truth is this, giving that demonstrates that we know Christmas grace always involves sacrifice. We have a phrase that all of us know. It says, give until it hurts. Okay, we all know that. Someone has said, you know, when it comes to giving until it hurts, most people have a very low threshold of pain. I just want to remind you that we are receiving right now a Christmas offering. We do this each year, and this is an offering that that we receive above and beyond our regular giving. It's, first of all, to meet the needs of people in our own church family that are struggling financially, and then it goes out to people in our community. Our, Our Christmas offering each year is also designated to other mission causes. This year, we're going to be giving us some of what you give, what comes in in this offering to meet the spiritual and physical needs of people in India that live in extreme poverty. Also some people in Germany uh, that are victims of human trafficking. We're going to be giving to do that. I want to encourage you, could you ask God to show you what he might want you to give in this way, to sacrifice? Maybe to do as the Macedonians did, to give beyond your ability. And, And then not just at Christmas, but on into next year in 2017, I'm going to challenge you. Why don't you trust God to enable you to give sacrificially, to give even beyond what you think you can, to give beyond your ability, maybe in a way that you think is impossible? I'm going to promise you, if you allow him to, he will bring that reality into your life. As you remember that giving that demonstrates love for God, giving that flows out of Christmas grace is always sacrificial giving. And it's not the amount that counts. It's actually how much it costs you. There's more in these first five verses. I want you to notice in verses three through five, the eagerness of these people is really fascinating. Paul says this, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, there are two key words I want you to notice. The first word is pleaded. Paul says the Macedonians urgently pleaded with him to be part of the offering. And I just have to tell you, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I have no idea what Paul's talking about here. I can't even really imagine. I was trying to get my mind around this. What was it like for Paul when he was in Macedonia collecting this offering for the believers in Jerusalem? Did, did they like, chase him down the street? Please, Paul, please, please, let us, let us give more. We want to give more. Take another offering. Did they fall on their knees? Did they tug on his robe? I don't know. <laughs> the point is, Paul didn't have to plead with them. They pleaded with him. Isn't that strange? 
See, what would it be like if we were generous like that? What if everyone at Southwinds just said, you know, God wants to do some incredible things here in our communities of Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop. There are so many thousands of people who are hurting, so many thousands of people who do not know Jesus Christ, so many lost lives to touch, so many broken lives to heal. It is going to take all of us together. I am so excited to be part of God's work here. I just cannot wait to give. What would that be like? And then there's another word key word in these verses is that word privilege. These Macedonians saw giving as a privilege, not a duty. They realized that God had given them so much spiritually, not materially, so much spiritually that they just wanted to give to others. And I think it was this. I think they realized that a person is never more like God than when they give. And so they wanted to share what they had with needy believers. Now, I want you to make sure you don't miss this. It's right in the text. Do you know why they gave so willingly? The answer is they had made a spiritual decision. I've said this before. I'll say it again, that that stewardship is ultimately a matter of lordship, about who is lord of your life. Look again at verse five. It says, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. This tells us that your giving will never be marked by Christmas grace until you give yourself first to the Lord. I just want to ask you, have you ever laid all that you are and all that you have before God for his use, all of your possessions, all of your time, all of your energy, and all of your talents, everything you are, have you laid it before God and said, God, I just want you to use this. See, generosity always begins with God and his grace. It's rooted, what we're talking about here, in something Paul describes in his first letter to the Corinthian Christians. It's rooted in what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, when he tells those people what we need to hear today. He says to them, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Now, I don't know about you, okay, but... I'll just confess to you as your pastor, I need to be reminded regularly that it's not my stuff. Why don't you just say it? It's not my stuff. See, I need to be reminded regularly that everything I have and everything I am, it comes from God and it belongs to God, that I don't have the right to run my own life, that my life belongs to him. And you know why it belongs to him? He bought me. He bought me with the precious blood of his son. I am not my own. Why don't you say that? I am not my own. See, God has bought us. Our lives belong to him. I am God's. Do you see it? Because of Christmas grace, because he sent his son. And that is the radical truth of the Christian life. It'll change everything for you if you get it. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. That means I don't get to plan my career all by myself or pick out who I marry all by myself or choose how I will spend all my money all by myself because it all belongs to him. And he is God and I'm not. He is Lord and I'm his servant. And that means... He has the right to all of it to do as he pleases. I am not my own. He purchased me with the precious blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when you start there and you start realizing you're not an owner of anything, that you're just a manager of what God has given to you, and then you begin to get that the issue for us in giving is always this. Listen to this. The issue in giving is not how much of my money I will give to God. The issue in giving is how much of God's money I'm going to keep for myself. Because it all belongs to him. You know, when we were doing Next Gen this spring, um, it was actually on Commitment Sunday, I shared with you this wonderful story from the book of Exodus. And uh, if you remember, Moses was receiving money, is in Exodus 35, receiving money from the Israelites to build the tabernacle. And in that chapter, it says that everyone whose heart stirred him came and they brought a contribution. And the question we talked about was what stirred their hearts? And the answer was, uh, there was a desire 
to make a contribution to give to the greatest need of all. And that greatest need of all was to have God at the center of their lives. That's what the tabernacle was all about, putting God's presence and making it visible and you know, tangible to them right at the center of where they lived, to have God in the middle of everything. And those people gave and gave and gave. In fact, Exodus says they gave so much, Moses had to tell them to stop giving. I love that. In fact, it's kind of one of my pastoral dreams. <laughs> and once again, I'm asking you, Southwinds, please, please allow me to have this experience just one time, <laughs> one time in my life. I mean, my dream is that I would show up here on a Sunday and say, you guys are unbelievable. You're just unbelievable. You gave so much last week. We didn't have enough people to, to count it last week. We're still trying to figure out how much you gave. Uh, we're still trying to figure out where we'll put it all. So let's not take an offering this week. Is that okay with you guys? I promise you, if that ever happens, I will do that. That's exactly what I will do. Grace. Grace is the source. Grace is the source. Sacrificial generosity. And if that's true, it leads to the second thing I want you to see, and it's this. Write this down. Our goal is to excel in generosity. See, if we are truly living in response to God's grace, we will not only want to be generous, we will desire to excel in generosity. I, I get that from verses 7 through 9. Look at what it says. Paul writes, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now here's a question. It's just a real practical Bible question drawn straight from this text, application, applying it to your life. Do you have a goal to excel in generosity? That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, gives five examples. And then he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. We're going to take a survey. We like to do surveys around here at Southwinds. This is a raise your hand survey. Are you guys ready for it? So here's the first question. We're going to take a survey. How many of you have ever prayed any time in your life a prayer like this? God, please strengthen my faith. Make my faith stronger. If you've ever prayed a prayer like that, would you raise your hands? Pretty much everybody looks like. You just want to grow in faith. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer like this? God, give me the courage to boldly share the gospel with my friends or my neighbors or my family. You wanted to, to be a bold witness for God in some way. Share the gospel. Have you ever prayed for that? Okay. Pretty much everybody's prayed that. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer like, God, help me to understand your word. I want to know your truth. I want to understand the Bible. I want to grow in knowledge of, of truth. You ever prayed anything like that? Looks like most of us here. Now, how many of you moms with like young children have prayed a prayer like this, I don't know, maybe this week? Dear God, please help me to love these kids you've given me so I don't kill them. Now, here, here's the last question on the survey. And this one actually is not a hand raiser question. I just want you to hear the question. How many of you have ever prayed at one time in your life, ever, ever, ever prayed, God, please help me to excel in generosity? See, I've heard lots of prayers as a pastor. Truth is, I don't think I've ever heard anyone pray that one out loud. And I wonder why. Paul is telling us here that we should uh, strive to excel in giving just as we strive to excel in in any other part of the Christian life. You know how a lot of us determine what we're going to give? A lot of us work by this standard. We ask ourselves, what do I need to give so that God will leave me alone? I mean, how much, God, will it take so I won't feel guilty? Like, how little can I get away with? That, that's kind of how we give. We, we give until our conscience starts really bothering us. 
Say, I want to just tell you, be real honest with you right now. One of my prayers for you as your pastor is that you will experience God's Christmas grace in such a profound way that you will long to excel in giving and generosity. This is at the heart of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And it's not just about money. It's also about our stuff. It's also about our time. It's also about our energy. It's about all of who we are. But people who get Christmas grace get that God is the owner and we're just managers. And if that's true, then giving is something that we should be working at as part of our discipleship. It's something that we should be growing in. See, why is that important? Well, Paul says in verse eight that it demonstrates the level of our love for God. He says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. In other words, our giving demonstrates the sincerity of our love for God. You know, talk can be really cheap, but how we live, how we act, how we obey, that that shows what really matters to us. Look at verse nine. Paul ties this all together by saying, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We have a goal to excel in generosity because we serve a Lord who gave everything that he has, everything that he is for us. We demonstrate that we've experienced Christmas grace, his love, when we excel in giving. Do you see how this keeps coming back to grace? Grace, generosity, Christmas grace, and generosity. Let me tell you the last thing I want you to see today. Sacrificial generosity leads to overflowing joy. Now, in verse 6 of chapter 9, Paul reminds the Corinthians of a universal principle of life. These are very familiar words. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, there aren't too many of us who've done a lot of farming or agriculture, right? But we kind of know this. We accept this truth in the realm of agriculture without question. Whatever a farmer plants in the the field, in the ground, that's what's going to come up. If he puts just a little bit of seed in the ground, it makes sense. He's going to have a small harvest. If he plants a lot of seed, that's how he gets a, a large harvest. But Paul is saying to us, the same thing is true in this area of giving. He says something very important to us. You can never know the overflowing joy of Jesus without generosity. See, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And we're talking spiritual things here. And some of you are are reaping a stunted, sparse, small spiritual life and harvest because that's all you've sown. You've sown sparingly. You've cheated yourself out of spiritual growth. You don't love God like you could. You've missed out on all kinds of joy and all kinds of freedom that only comes to people who have generous hearts and generous hands. Now, mentioned earlier, I've been a pastor for 30 plus years, and here's one of the things I know. Some of you right now don't believe me when I say these words. Some of you think this is just a pastor's line to get more money for the church. You think this is like the Pastor Geico commercial. This is just what pastors do, right? But I just want to tell you this morning, if that's what you think, it's, it's really not me you don't believe. It's God, because these are not my words. These are God's words. It's God who says, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I want you to write this down. I want you to think about it. When you don't give generously, you're just cheating yourself. Let me tell you a true story. I heard it a number of years ago. It took place at the end of the 19th century. It was in China. Missionaries were there seeking to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they began to push deeper into the interior of China, unexplored territories. And as they got deeper and deeper into China, they encountered a village whose main crop was potatoes. And they met these people and got to know them, and they discovered they had a great climate where they were. The soil was very fertile where they were, but their harvest of potatoes was always really, really small potatoes. They said about the size of marbles, just little, little tiny potatoes. And the people told them that big potatoes just didn't grow there. And the missionaries 
said, well, surely some big potatoes grow here. And the villagers said, yeah, well, we do get a few now and then. And the missionaries asked, well, what do you do with them? And the villagers said, well, we eat them because they taste the best. <laughs> and what was happening is that they were systematically reducing their crop as they took the biggest and the best for themselves. And the missionaries explained to them in the truth, really it's a universal truth of life, that is only when you plant the big ones, the best that you have, it's only then that you see a harvest and get bigger and more in return. That seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? Does that make sense? But how many of us are doing the very same thing those villagers did, not with potatoes, but with our resources, with our generosity, We say, I want to keep the best for myself and whatever is left, the little potatoes, I'll give that to God. What I don't want, God can have that. And the result is we have lives that are shrunken. We wonder why our lives are so small. If you think about it, there are two pictures associated with those words sparingly and generously. Sparingly, Uh, is depicted by a tightly closed fist. So the farmer is sowing, but he doesn't want too much to get out, and so he keeps his fist together, keeps it closed. Generously, on the other hand, depicts an open hand. The farmer is casting seed freely. He wants as much as he possibly can to get out and get onto the soil so that he can receive a bountiful harvest in return. And I just need to ask you to think about it today, which of these two pictures represents your life? Do you live your life with a closed fist or with an open hand? See, generosity is a demonstration that you have experienced God's Christmas grace. In verses 7 and 8 of chapter 9, Paul goes on to say, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Notice again, Paul says God's not interested in compulsion and manipulation and coercion. God really is concerned with our attitudes when we give. He he doesn't want us to give just because we feel guilty, just because the pastor kind of twisted our arms and and we're trying to you know, feel better for a while. God wants you to be generous with him because you love him, because you want to honor him, because you believe him when he tells you that it is more blessed to give than to receive. You can just write it down. God doesn't want us to give out a compulsion. He calls us to decide in our hearts what we will give. Why? Because God says, I will bless you if you are a giver. He says here, God loves a cheerful giver, right? (laughs) The word Paul uses is the Greek word hilarion. Anybody want to guess what English word we get from that Greek word? We get the word hilarious. He says that giving should be a hilarious thing. It should be filled with joy. When we give the offering, maybe it should be a moment of hilarity in the service. I think it'd be kind of Interesting, if we're passing the offering bags through the, through the rows and the band is up here singing the song and we keep hearing all these people cracking up out there in the aisles, just laughing their heads off because they're so full of joy about the opportunity they have to give. Um, I used to tell people in my old church back in Chicago uh, during the offering, you know, if you're here for the first time and you don't know God and this isn't your church when the offering bag comes by and you can't give with a hilarious spirit, then just let it go by. Don't, don't worry about it. And maybe you're here for the second time and maybe you don't know God and maybe you're still not sure this is the place you want to worship yet and you can't give with a hilarious spirit. Maybe you should just let the offering bag go by. If you're here for the third time, I think you should fake it. I didn't really say that, you know, but there's actually some truth there because sometimes you kind of have to prime the pump, right? And here's the truth. This is reality. If I wait until I feel like giving, I will probably never feel like giving. Amen. And so I might, I might need to start by just being obedient. I might need to 
tell God, pray to God and say, God, my desire is to become a cheerful giver and I'm not there yet. Honestly, God, I don't want to give yet, but God, I want to want to give. Now again, I know that some of you still don't believe me, but there is joy in giving and I say that on the authority of God's son, Jesus Christ. You know this verse, it's in the book of Acts. It says, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And a lot of people misunderstand that verse. They think it it means that it's better to give than to receive, but that's not really what Jesus says. That word blessed means happy. It means joyful. And Jesus is saying, you are happier when you give than when you receive. He is saying that giving people are happier people. Jesus is making a declaration of reality. This is a declaration of truth. It's actually been backed up by a number of uh, studies that have been done, even outside the church. George Gallup uh, did a study of this, a secular researcher a couple of years ago. He he did a study on people who tithe 10%. They give a full tithe. And here's one of his conclusions. You can read it up on the screen. People who tithe are fundamentally happier than people who don't tithe. I had somebody out in the lobby after the first service that came to me and said, that is so true. And they said, I just wish everyone in our church could understand that because they had come to experience it in their own lives. And that's why Paul was writing these words. He wanted those people to experience joy. And I just want to tell you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart as your pastor, I am telling you these things for the same reason Paul was telling them and Jesus was speaking those words. I'm telling you this because I love you and because I want you to know joy. Now, this isn't a prosperity gospel of any kind. God isn't promising to make anybody rich in a financial sense. We don't bargain with God when we give. We don't give in order for God to give us stuff back. And see, the reality is simply this. There are many ways that God can and God will bless us for our giving. He can bless us physically. Sometimes he does that. Oftentimes he does that. Many of you have testimonies about that, but sometimes he chooses to bless us spiritually instead or as well. And whatever he does, you can always trust knowing that God is very wise and God is very good and God knows the very best ways to bless us. He blesses us in the ways that he sovereignly chooses. Now, some of you might say, well, isn't giving about more than money? And the answer is yes. We're to be generous with all of our lives, our time. We're to be generous with our energy, everything we are and have. And and if that's what you're thinking right now, well, I'll mention something. Every Christmas Eve, we have opportunities to be generous through serving. Um, You've heard us talk about this a little bit already this season, and I'm going to bring it up again. It takes about 150 people uh, to pull off our services in terms of volunteers. We need 150 volunteers to be ready for all the guests that God sends us every year. And right up today, we're about one third of the way there. So I just really want to encourage you to sign up to serve as part of your generosity this Christmas season. You can use this insert in your program, just fill it out, put it in the offering bag. Or if you'd like to talk to someone, you can take it out to the table in the courtyard and and find out when and how you can help best. Now, all of this takes us toward the end of chapter nine. And one of the things we see in the last part of this chapter is that generosity promotes thanksgiving to God. Paul talks about this several times that when giving increases, when generosity increases, then thanksgiving increases, praise increases, glory given to God increases. He says it in verse 11. He says it again in verse 12. He says it again in verse 13. And then he ends the chapter, verse 15. And I love how he ends this chapter. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now we've come full circle now. We're, we're back to the grace of God now. It's kind of an interesting thing. The Greek word translated thanks, are you ready for this? It's actually the word that's translated grace in the other parts of the chapter. Now, it's the right translation. That's the, that's the meaning that this word has here. But I want you to see how thankfulness and grace and generosity all flow together. 
And see, when we have a grasp in our hearts of God's gift to us out of his graciousness of all that it cost him, that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. We know that. Then giving will overflow. And our generosity will produce more thanksgiving to God. You know, God's people love it when God gets thanked. Now, with that verse on the screen, with that verse before our eyes and in our minds, I want to talk very specifically for a few moments as we close. For Christmas to be wonderful, doesn't it make sense that, that we remember whose birthday Christmas is? I mean, is it really possible to experience Christmas grace and generosity if we celebrate Christmas by giving to everyone but to the birthday boy? I looked on the internet this week and I found that the average American family plans to spend somewhere around $1,000 on Christmas gifts. Now, some spend more, some spend less. But whatever you're gonna do, the question is how many of us will give a gift anywhere near that to the Lord at Christmas? You know, some Christians get all sentimental at Christmas. We talk a lot about worshiping Jesus, about our devotion to him, about the reason for the season. Some of us get really offended when retail store clerks say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Some of us get all twisted around the pole about Starbucks coffee cups, not saying what the Starbucks coffee cups are supposedly supposed to say. And then some of those very same people who complain about all that stuff don't do anything to be generous toward the Lord and his work at Christmas. Is there something weird about that? Something strange? Every year um, at this time, Southwinds uh, adopts our budget for the following year. And that happened for 2017, last Sunday night at our family meeting. And I wanted to share with you that our budget for next year totals $1.5 million. Uh, If you are aware, you will know that that's exactly the same amount as the 2016 budget. And uh, our elders have decided to keep our budget the same this year in light of the significant commitments uh, that our church family has made to Next Gen. Uh, It's actually a very positive thing because we are on track. We've already surpassed our previous record, but we are on track to have the highest giving uh, total in our history this year when you combine our regular weekly tithes and offerings with our above and beyond next-gen gifts. And so I just want you to be aware of that. I want you to be thinking about that because as we are going through this Christmas season and as we are thinking about Christmas grace and we are thinking about how that connects generosity, I am convinced that God has so much more in store for us, so many more blessings as we faithfully follow him. And I want our, our hearts to be full and our minds to be clear. I want us to have full hearts that long to respond to God's Christmas grace that will joyfully and sacrificially give, not only at Christmas, but throughout the life and year that God gives us. We do this because of God's gift to us at Christmas in his son, Jesus Christ, because of his birth, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because he has given us salvation. And I want us to have clear minds clear minds that realize that generosity is a very practical, very real thing that all of us need to be involved in. Clear minds that stop pretending that we can excuse ourselves. Clear minds that that don't rely on other people to carry the load by themselves. Clear minds that are courageous enough to ask God what he wants us to do in terms of generosity in our individual lives. You know, I've shared stuff like this over the years. If you've been around Southwinds for a while, you've heard me talk about some of this information. Over the years, I've periodically done some research into our giving habits as a church family. And and what this means is I ask our office manager to look some things up and to give me some some information. It's not attached to anybody's names. And and here's some of the things that that she finds. In a typical year, uh, we find that somewhere around 8% of our families tithe. That's only one out of 12. Those 8% give over one-third of the income that we have. The largest group of givers in our church are actually 
people who give less than $20 a week, and that's almost two-thirds of us. And then one out of six families, individuals, don't give anything at all. And what that says is that for most of us, giving to Jesus is a pretty small part of our lives. That also means that when you look at what God is doing, we have some very generous people among us. And it's not that we have a bunch of wealthy people. We have just generous people. It is amazing what God has done with those who have chosen the path of generosity, chosen the path of overflowing joy. But when I see stuff like that, I have to wonder, I have to ask what we would see God do if most of us, not to say all of us, began to give and to be generous as people who've experienced Christmas grace. This is obviously more than just a Christmas issue. But what if this Christmas, some of us began to make things right in this area of our lives? What if we truly remember that Jesus is the reason for the season? What if it became more than just talk? That there is so much kingdom work that could happen here in Tracy and in Mountain House and in Lathrop and beyond if more of us began to be faithful to the one who was born on Christmas to save us from our sins. Now, I know that some of us may be going through difficult seasons in our lives right now, but God doesn't call us to be generous just when things are going well. God calls us to be faithful no matter what. Now, maybe you struggle some with this, and if that's the case, here's what I want to suggest, just very practically. Wherever you find yourself at in this area of giving, here's the suggestion. Just take one step farther. I've told you this before, but if everyone at Southwinds, everyone at Southwinds just gave an extra $20 more a week, that's just $20 more than it's being given now, we would not only meet our budget, we would surpass our budget by, are you ready for this? $400,000. It's just everybody gave $20 more a week. And that just causes me to ask, if you've not been giving, then why not start? Just do something. At least give something. Begin to build this habit into your life of following Christ. Maybe you've been giving something, but it really, honestly, you know it's not been that much. Then why not increase your giving by $20 a week? I mean, honestly, most of us blow that much at Starbucks or McDonald's or other places that really don't you know, matter that much to us. Maybe you've been giving regularly, but you're still not tithing. Maybe God would call you to take that step this next year, begin to tithe. Maybe, maybe you're a tither and God is calling you to sacrifice like the Macedonians and to give beyond your ability. But wherever you are, my, my challenge, my suggestion is this. Just take one step farther. Begin to follow God and begin to follow him in this way during this season, this season that we remember God's grace to us, his Christmas grace. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? (coughs) Father, we give you thanks for your indescribable gift. We give you thanks for Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes so that we through his poverty might become rich. And Lord, today we confess that we are rich as we look around the world and we see how many blessings we have. But Lord, more than our material blessings, we give you thanks for the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. And may this Christmas season, Lord, be marked in our lives and in our church by your grace. May we respond this season to your grace with generosity. And may that generosity lead to overflowing joy. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.